Amen. Glory to God. How many believe that? I believe we're going to see revival, church. I believe as we continue to press forward, God's going to fill His church and we're going to see an outpouring of God's Spirit upon His congregation. And so I'm pressing forward. We are pressing forward as a church. I thank you. I dearly appreciate your faithfulness, your coming tonight, your faithfulness in giving and sowing. Uh, thank you, worship team, tonight. Uh, all we do uh, is ab- we are able to do and we are, en- it, it, we are enabling ourselves because of you, your faithfulness, your giving tonight. And we thank God for each and every one of you tonight. Amen. I want you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5 tonight. I'm going to preach a very simple message tonight. And I believe that God is going to enable us tonight and help us. Malcolm Gladwell, in a book that he wrote in 2008, the title of the book, Outliers, suggested this interesting study where he said, he called it the 10,000 hour rule. And what it simply is, is the seed for the 10,000 hour rule was indeed a, a, a seed that was sown in the 1993 study of violinist and pianist which found that accumulated practice time rose with musical prowess. On average, he went on to say top violinists had clocked up 10,000 hours of practice by the age of 20. And though many had actually put in fewer hours, in the study, the authors rejected an important role for natural talent and argued that differences in ability, even among top musicians, were largely down to how much they actually practice. And so Gladwell seized on the round number to explain the success of notables from Bill Gates to the Beatles. And so what what Malcolm Gladwell was basically saying is you get better the more you practice. And the theory is true, but whether it requires 10,000 hours of practice is the question. So in other words, he suggests that if you are going to be a public speaker, you need to perf- the only way to perfect your skills and to hone your skills and to get better at what you do, you have to have at least 10,000 hours of experience or practice that works up to be about 400 odd days, uh, which is slightly more than a year, 24 hours a day. So obviously there are many people who are refuting that claim, debunking that claim. But the point I draw your attention to is simply this, that indeed the more you excel in your time of practicing and working at something, how many know you get better? Michael Jordan said the same thing along those lines. The more you shoot hoops, the better of a player you become. And that's the truth in life. And so what I'm aiming to address tonight is simply the fact that a simple, a spirit of excellence is a spirit that greatly is, is greatly lacking in our culture today. I want to talk to you about the spirit of excellence because it is inevitable that one of the things that we often hear people say is simply this, I have done it. Or I am here. 
or I have answered. And basically what they're suggesting is, I've done what I'm supposed to do. And that most people seem to be incredibly contented, but seemingly lacking the pursuit of excellence. And what I'm saying tonight is, just bear with me, I'm trying to build my case here. Malcolm Gladwell did suggest something very profound and interesting. That it takes hard work and practice to get good at something. And what we find today in our culture is most people don't like that. They want to immediately embark on something and get good without having to practice or excel on it. And Matthew chapter 5 speaks about this spirit. In Matthew 5, 41 to 42, beloved, I want you to look at this passage with me. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. So Jesus is using a familiar setting of the day. When the Romans who occupied in Jesus' times would walk past a lay person, the Roman could compel a person to take what he was carrying for one mile. So it was a law of the day. So I would walk a certain distance and then the moment I get to that one mile mark or I get to that first mark, I find anyone there, I can give the goods to that person and that person is required to carry it for another mile. Now the reason for this culture or the reason for this practice was simply because in those days there were no post offices. And so in order to convey a message from the king, in order to convey a herald, a herald would carry whatever that, that he had and he would begin to walk by and as he's walking on the public highways, they were permitted to stop at any point, give the goods or even convey the message to a person, compelling a person or they could press any horse, boat, ship, or other vehicles that they may need for the quick transmission of the king's command. And so this was the essence of what was practiced. This is why Jesus is describing this. Whoever compels you, when they ask you to go one mile, he goes on to say, don't stop at that one mile, go the second mile. So when the Romans came up to you and they gave you something and they said, go one mile and then look for the next person at that mile mark and give it to them, as you do that, you are simply fulfilling your responsibility. And it was to this custom that Jesus was making reference to. And he was challenging his disciples. We know this is the Sermon on the Mount. He's challenging his disciples to go the second mile when we are only compelled to go the one mile. And so what does the first mile represent then? It represented their duty as a citizen of the nation. The first mile represented their responsibility. But the second mile manifested the spirit behind the action. So what am I trying to say? As a father, I am responsible 
to provide for my children, whether it's food, education, clothings, a, a roof over their head. I am responsible to provide that as a father for my children. But when I choose to give them more than that, I am simply choosing to exert or to exhibit my love towards them. And that is where the spirit of why I do it kicks in. How much I truly love my children isn't seen by the mere fact of my responsibility towards them, but how much more I'm willing to do for them, which represents the second mile. And Jesus here is challenging his disciples to pursue excellence. Do more, he's saying, than you've been told to do. Align your heart to the action. In other words, it's not enough. This is all I do and I fulfill my responsibility. And we get satisfied often by just fulfilling our responsibility. I finished my task, right? I've completed what I was told to do, right? But Jesus is saying, no, it should never stop there. You should go the second mile. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. So Jesus was challenging them simply this. If you didn't get anything else I said, he was simply saying, go beyond responsibility. You don't just have to stay and stop there. You can do more than that. And we'll talk more about it in a while. But initiative is the hallmark of the second mile. When a person chooses not to just stop at the first mile, when a person doesn't just satisfy themselves by responsibility or duty, but rather chooses to embrace going the second mile, we'll elaborate this a little further later, it displays an act of initiative. It is the man or the woman with initiative that will always find every, opportun given, uh, every opportunity to say, I am not going to stop at this. I need to go on and do more. It is unsettling to be settled with simply going the first mile. I've seen this through uh, uh, many times with people uh, who, who, you know, work a job and the moment they seem to, you know, especially in the business world today, the moment they get a good chunk of a deal completed, they start slowing down. And, and it's a culture. Because I sudah cukup apa. Tapayalah buat banyak lagi. Correct? I, I don't have to go on. And so they, they satisfy themselves just because they have a little bit of money in their car. So now what they do is they start shaking their leg. They start relaxing. They start taking it. But Jesus is saying, okay, you've, you've got through the first mile, but don't stop there. Go on. 
Never be satisfied. You know, it's, 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 same, it's the same truth. If, if we start seeing new people and we start seeing growth and we start seeing God moving in a powerful way, listen, it will be foolish if we come to that place and then we stop laboring and doing anything else because we are satisfied with what we see. Life is never meant to be settled at the first mile. God always wants you and I to strive to go the second mile. It is when, this is what I'm, I'm going to direct this to, it is when praying is not enough. You, you, you cannot settle for the first mile. You, you, you come to a place where you say, you know, praying is not enough. It is when giving is not enough. It is when coming to church is not enough. It is when hearing and listening to the preaching is not enough. Does simply fulfilling our obligation, our responsibility satisfy us? Does it mean just because we've done that, we are satisfied that I've accomplished something or do we strive to go beyond the first mile? And I want you to pay close attention as we go on because going the first mile involves our physical strength oftentimes. But going the second mile demands for more than our physical self. When David Livingston, the missionary pioneer, was working in Africa, some friends wrote, we would like to send other men to you. Have you found a good road into your area? They asked David Livingston. David Livingston was a powerful missionary in Africa. Livingston wrote back to his friends and said this, if you have men who will only come if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come even if there's no road at all. So what is he challenging? The nature of not just being contented that I fulfill my responsibility but that it must go beyond that. And so the case in point, our story uses this word in verses 41, compels, whoever compels you, go back to 41, Isaac, whoever compels you to go one mile. In other words, whoever forces you, whoever demands from you whoever requires from you now you have to remember back in the day the jews hated the romans so to be told by the romans to take this task and this message upon them it was a loathsome activity for them they never wanted to do it they don't want to be obligated to the Romans. But the laying down of whatever else they may be doing, can you, can you gather this with me? They are forced to do it, which means if I am on a journey, I'm out with my family, I'm about to take them on a short trip, or we're about to go have dinner, or we're about to go have lunch, the moment they find me on the street corner and they stop me, they would compel me, it means my entire schedule gets messed up it means my entire itinerary for the day gets messed up i have to oblige to their requests 
That's what it means when they compel you. You don't have the right to say no. It is the duty of the citizen to respect and to honor that authority and to say yes. And so what does this require? It requires a shift in the mental state to keep the heart right. Because when you are not even willing to go the first mile, imagine when you are hindered and stopped and you're told, listen, you have to run here now and go out of the way because you need to deliver this message on behalf of the king. Guess what happens then, beloved? You're going to have to deal with your heart and say, I'm going to keep my heart right. As angry, as irritated, as annoyed, as upset, as whatever it is, as it is, I am still going to have to do it. So why does, why does Jesus then, if it is so difficult to even do the first smile, why does Jesus then challenge them to go the second? Because the only way to deal with the heart condition is by confronting yourself. You're going to have to choose to do something you are not wanting to do. And this is a spirit Jesus held to deal with. He confronted the spirit. You may not be too happy to do it, but you need to do it. In fact, for the sake of your mental health, he was simply saying, go the second mile. Because that will help you overcome whatever you feel in your heart. There's a truth that what you see from a distance may get easier to do when you're doing it. When I come for prayer in the morning, I go home, and there are days I don't feel like working out. <laughs> but the moment you get into it, you feel it's easier. You, you stand back and you look at, oh, my stretch, ah, 30 minutes, ah, oh my gosh. Can we just have Naslama today? And you resist the idea because it looks like it's hard to do. But when you get into it, what happens? You find it easy to do. And why? Because there's a word that we must always remember. It's called momentum. Once momentum has been built, you will look at the second mile. It's like when you're walking down the road and you're like, oh my gosh, one more mile to go. Jesus, are you out of your mind? I've already done my duty. And then you want me to go another mile. How many know when you're not having fun, time doesn't fly? Because the opposite is true. When you're having fun, time flies. Right? But when you're not having fun, you're calculating every step. Especially when you have one of those watches that every step is counted for. You know, one, two, three, four. Huh? That's all. Uh. Right? And, and you feel the struggle. You feel the pain of doing it. And can you imagine Jesus is saying, you must choose to do it. Procrastinators will always find the excuse for not doing it. Too difficult. Too much. 
Difficult to get up, difficult to come, difficult to be, difficult to this, difficult to that, difficult to give, difficult. And procrastinators will always find a reason. Proverbs 26.13 says, The lazy man says there is a lion in the road. You know, right, that there's no lion on the road. That's just Solomon being sarcastic. <laughs> right? King Solomon is being sarcastic, you know. It's like, he's just, he's just making it, he's blowing it out of proportion. He's like, you, you know that there's no such thing as a lion. But a fierce lion is in the streets. This is the nature of every procrastinator. They look at the second mile and they tell themselves, I'm happy to just keep my responsibility. I don't want to do more than that. I, I'm, I'm already doing the right thing. What wrong am I doing? I am fulfilling my responsibility. I am fulfilling my duty. I am keeping to the first mile. And, and this is the nature of it. When you look at the second mile, it always seems very unattractive. That's why when you get into work and you look at your watch and it's 9 o'clock in the morning and then you look at it and say, oh my gosh, 8 hours to go. Right? But then the moment you start working, it's lunchtime. You see, the people who find time running slow are the people who sit around and do nothing. <laughs> Why? Uh? I thought I just checked. It was, it was 8 o'clock a few minutes. It's, it's only 8.03. Uh? You know, or, or oh my gosh, it's only 8.05. Every two minutes, they got time to check their watch. <laughs> but when you got things that you're doing... When you're busy, when there's things going on, when you're constantly, you know, doing something, you and I know, beloved, time does fly. It doesn't seem like, you know, uh, as slow as we seem. We, we, our fears of going into the second mile is just like that. We look at it and we are afraid of it. But the moment you get into it, I'm telling you, there's something supernatural that happens. The same is true when you're traveling. You get into the car and you know, especially if you have to travel, and you have to travel for six, seven, eight hours on the road. But you know, when you're driving that road, if you have people around you and you're chatting away, how many know you don't feel the time? But when you, I know for some of you, I know that's not true, Pastor. I, I chat also, I still feel it. You know, every time I look at the clock, only 20 minutes has gone by, you know. But it's, it, you, you get what, when your time flies, again, the principle is time flies when you're having fun. So what's my point tonight? Simply this, that going the second mile, first and foremost, this is what we must address, it's not as hard as you think it is. You have to break that mindset. You have to stop limiting yourself. You have to stop, st you got to stop limiting yourself to only my responsibility. It has to go beyond the responsibility tonight. And this is where momentum is built. This is where a rhythm is established and there's continuity. When you go to the gym, what is one of the things they highly recommend you to do? Or to run. What did they tell you? Listen to some music. So when you're listening to music, what happens? You feel a rhythm. And you actually don't feel you're really working out because you're playing the songs you like or you're listening to your favorite pastor. <laughs> I'm, I'm... And then 
you don't feel it's a whole lot difficult. Because you seem to be listening and you seem to be enjoying what you're doing. But if you had no music, if you have nothing, it seems, oh my gosh, this is... But when rhythm is established, there's continuity. And the danger often lies in the mind. When we are unwilling to step out of the boat, as we heard it, to go beyond the first mile, obviously the first mile is our strength. We all keep our responsibility because we know we can do it in our own ability. But the second mile requires God's strength. And that's what I want to talk to you about because fear exists, no doubt. When you, when you just fulfill your responsibility, you always feel, I'm good. I, I can handle this. You can do it. But when fear kicks in, it's a mental state that says, I will stick to my responsibility. I don't need to do more than that. The absence of risk-taking. And I say to you, beloved, you can never tap into God's strength because the Bible says, go the second mile. And I found this to be true. You will never tap into God's strength. You'll never experience God in the supernatural if we only keep to our responsibility without willing to go beyond that. Your satisfaction must not be the marker of your service to God. Your satisfaction will always be contented with the first smile. How many know, just because it's your responsibility to read the Bible and you read the Bible, you feel satisfied. Because it's my responsibility to pray, I pray, I feel satisfied. That's the first smile. Just because I feel that, you know, it's my responsibility to come to church, I come to church, I feel satisfied. And so on and so forth. Just like when you go to your workplace, you fulfill your responsibility. What do you feel? You feel satisfied because I have done my duty. But Jesus is dealing with exactly that right here. He's challenging us not to be satisfied with just doing our responsibility. So this is where I get practical with you tonight. In the practical, going the second mile involves contending for more than our responsibility. Going the second mile is the pursuit of excellence. It is the striving for excellence. Pursuing the second mile is a spirit that indeed demands more than our responsibility. It is where the God factor kicks in. It is where we don't want to do it. It is where we feel tired or worn out. It is where we feel like, God, I can't go on doing this. But the moment you make up your mind, the moment you set your eyes to doing more than you've been called to do, you find a supernatural power and strength of God that comes over you, that enables you not to stay at the first mile, but to go on and on and on and on. Evangelism, I want to I break it down to you. Listen to me very carefully. This is, where, this is why I wrote this sermon right here. I want you to hear me carefully. Evangelism is my responsibility. We know that. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. Okay? Evangelism is my responsibility as a church, as a Christian. But evangelizing with a desire that strives to see souls get saved is the second mile. Yeah. 
Can I step further now? Praying is my responsibility. We all pray. But praying so that there is an environment of dominion in the church is going the second mile. Giving is my responsibility. But striving to give more so that we can do more for God is going the second mile. So I, I hope you're catching what I'm saying tonight. It's not sufficient that we have a church that only gets satisfied with doing their responsibilities. But we need a church that will become more than just responsible with their prayer lives, but also become concerned that I need to contribute to the atmosphere, the environment, and the spiritual climate of this church so that there's dominion, there's the presence of God, there is the power of God, there is the outflowing of the Holy Spirit. So this takes my prayer life beyond my responsibility. Now it becomes... A, a, a desire in me that when I pray, I am going to be sensitive that there is dominion in this place. That I'm not just going to be satisfied. I just come, oh, ribo shandai karabasiko. Okay, God, I prayed. I said my prayer. I'm done. It's over. No, beloved, when I pray, can I, can I be honest? I, I've not said this often to people, but I'll tell you, when I sit there and pray, I am being very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I can feel when the climate in the church is beginning to drop. I can sense it. I can sense it when there's an absence of dominion in the church. I can feel it when there's no authority. I can feel it when the demonic is trying to work. I can feel when people are praying, but they're not focused, not because of your voice or your vocals. Or, no, it's spiritual. It's a climate. You can sense it. And unfortunately, many people are not sensitive to that. So when we pray, we are just focused on just praying, but we don't seem to strive going the second mile that it's more than just me being responsible to praying. It is necessary that when I'm praying, I can feel dominion. It is necessary when I'm praying, I can feel the presence of God. It is necessary when I'm praying, I can feel a climate change in the church. If everyone began to go the second mile, beloved, I can declare to you, we will be a powerhouse for God. Because this is not meant for one person to carry that burden. This is not the sole duty of a single individual. This is the duty of the entire church. That I am going beyond my responsibility. Yes, I need to pray. Yes, prayer is, what's ma is what matters. But I, am, I have to be sensitive. 
John 12 verses 3. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. What Mary did impacted and affected the entire environment. Which begs the question then, does my prayer life, does my evangelism, does my giving contribute entirely to the things that God is doing in the church? Or is it just for me personally? Has my prayer life contributed collectively to the environment in the church? Has my worship assisted the church in gaining into the presence of God? Can, can I ask, as my worship? That means it's not enough that I am singing. It's not enough that I am lifting my hands, but I am sensitive. When I don't feel God moving, when I don't feel God's presence, you should also be sensitive to that. As, as, as we do that together, we become more and more sensitive to the Spirit of God. And when I worship, I'm striving that this en environment must become a place where God is dwelling. Have you strived to collaborate and link hearts, fasting, praying, even without being told to do so? So let's close tonight with are we a first mile or a second mile Christians? They're both, they both Christians. First mile Christian or second mile Christian? They're both Christians. Have you been to Jalan Ipoh? Jalan Ipoh is along the road of Sungai Batu. So Sungai Batu is all that way through of Jalan Ipoh. And so what they call it is, they call it first mile, second mile, third mile, fourth mile, fifth mile. And I don't know how many miles it goes up to, but, uh, you know, Jalan Batu, you know, or, or rather uh, Jalan Ipoh is, is, is recognized in that, in that way. So when you drive into Jalan Ipoh, oftentimes when someone wants to tell you where they are, we're on the third mile, or we're on the third three and a half mile, for example. And so what it does is, these primarily identify and give you markers in where you're at. The miles indeed reveals your location. And this is exactly what I want to close with because I believe that if we can answer this question, we can identify where we really stand as a Christian. The great frustration often isn't, isn't that people are not praying. Uh, let me speak to you from a pastor's perspective tonight. I spoke to Pastor Allen about this as well this morning. And I, and, I, and, and I had a conversation. I said, Pastor, you know, you need to help me with this sermon. And, and, and I said, the frustration, I told him, is not that people are not praying. It's not that people are not giving. It's not that people are not reading. It's not that people are not coming. But I think it is the lacking in the striving 
of excellence. So people are praying, no doubt. People are giving, no doubt, right? Amen. People are coming faithfully, no doubt. People are getting involved, no doubt. We have all of that. Praise God for that. But oftentimes, the lack that strives for excellence. And what do you mean by it? It is people who take who it is people taking personal responsibilities, but unwilling to go beyond that. So we are praying, we are reading, we are fasting, we are doing all of these things. But it is the absence of corporate spiritual responsibility. That means, pastor, the church needs dominion. So who will pray along? With that same spirit of saying, I need to strive for dominion to be in this church. I need to strive. I need to pray until I really can feel God moving in our midst. That is the second mile. When I go on outreach, it's not just a matter of one hour, nine to ten o'clock, but it's God until someone gets saved. I'm not leaving. It is going the second mile. That releases a spirit in the church. It is not just, okay, you know what? I come and I give an offering because I am called to be faithful. No, but I want to be a, su I want to be a super blessing so the kingdom can do more for God. And that spirit is the spirit of the second mile. That spirit is the spirit that Moses was talking about Numbers 11, 16 to 17 as we close. It says, So the Lord said to Moses, Gather to me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tabernacle of meeting, that they may stand there with you. Then I will come down and talk with you there. And what does, what does God say? I will take of the Spirit that is upon you and will put the same upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, that you may not bear it yourself alone. It's a spiritual transference. So with the people that were there, they were doing everything. They were, they were involved. They were praying. But how many got connected right there? How many said, you know what, it is our burden to gather collectively as a church, not to just pray, but for the presence of God to come down in every service. I'm not just satisfied with just praying. I'm not just ticking a card off to say, I pray. But no, I am going to strive as a man of God. I'm going to strive as a woman of God that the church must have God in the house. And it must become your burden as much as it is my burden. That's the second mile. That's why I, I, I realize the frustration is not people not praying. I thank God for this church. I thank God for the people in this crowd. I really do. I, I, I came up with this sermon because I had a conversation with someone yesterday. They, they bombarded me. They said, what do you mean we're not doing anything? Because of Sunday night, I preached and I, I let it rip. <laughs> no, but, but you, you, you know. I, I, said, I said, no, 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 no. It's not about the physical action. Because people do a lot. Amen. Thank God for that. 
But I'm challenging you to go the second mile. That means now when I come into prayer, we're going to strive for God's presence together. When I go on an outreach, we are going to strive together for people to get saved. Not just to check time. One hour finish. Let's go back. But I'm here. Pastor, I'm here. Or God, I'm here. Because I really want to see people get saved. I'm not just here to take some time off my schedule. Do you realize when you go the second mile, your Christianity becomes more filled? It does something to your walk with God. It makes you a direct participant in the kingdom of God. And this is the spirit that I believe God transferred upon the people. The second mile demands more than just physical. It challenges the environment, the atmosphere, that people will collectively strive to establish an atmosphere within the local church. Too many Christians have been a one-mile Christian for too long. Their whole Christian journey, they don't even have a clue what, what a second-mile Christian experiences. It's like me talking to Jeremy and Julia and telling them this, Son, girl, marriage is exciting. And the two of them actually said, I don't want to get married. I think they want to stay with mommy and daddy their whole life, you know. <laughs> but, but the truth is, to them, my statement doesn't mean anything. Because they've never experienced it. They've never encountered it. And for some Christians, they've never experienced dominion in their prayer life. They don't know what it feels like. They never experience the presence of God. They don't know what it feels. It's like for some Christians, this is so foreign. Pastor, what are you talking about? It's so foreign. I don't know what it feels like to be in, in dominion. I don't know what it feels like to experience God. I don't know what it feels like to have the presence of God. Beloved, I make the statement to you with all humility. You will never you still will never experience that God until you willingly go the second mile. Until you say, you know what, this is not just my prayer life. I am contributing to the bigger picture in this church. I need to strive for this church to work. I need to strive for people to come. I need to strive. It is my responsibility as well. When you come to that place, that's where you start encountering God. See, the moment I took, the, the moment we came to Pioneer this church, that has always been my spirit. You can ask Pastor Ellen when you see him. Every time my pastor prays, I am always there. I remember, I remember, I feel what he feels. I know it's a struggle because it's a spirit. It's not just responsibility. Going the second mile is a spiritual connection. And that's my challenge tonight. That's my appeal to you tonight. 
You and I can have that spiritual climate in this church if you also take responsibility to say, you know what? No, no, just not my life. I'm going to strive for this to work. It'll change the climate. It will change the climate. There are times in my prayer, I just wish I had someone who was praying laying hold of God. And there are times I tell my wife, I'm so troubled. There's an absence of dominion and people don't feel, everybody's just, you know, I challenge you tonight. You must feel that. You must feel that. Because the only way to have dominion, it's not, Pastor, have I not been doing, you have been doing a lot in this church. My wife and I don't take credit for it, but it's the Spirit. Doing something doesn't equal going the second mile. And that's my cry to you tonight. Can we bow our heads tonight?